0: When I first felt called to missions, my immediate, my immediate answer was yes. But then it dawned on me that the only place that God actually ever sent missionaries was Africa, right? And it scared me to death. And after that, I didn't wanna hear about it, talk about it, think about it, and try to think of anything else in the world to do but that. But I never forgot about it. And I couldn't forget about it. God never let go of me. and. Um, I'm glad. So we contacted the IMB, this was in 1991, FMB back then, and started the process, right? We quit our jobs in Corpus Christi, Texas, headed to Kazakhstan in 1991, a place we'd never heard of at that time. It was still the USSR. Gorbachev was in power, but not for long. The first workers had just been placed there only a few months before we arrived. When we asked folks at the board, the IMB, what should we take? What should we expect? They had no answers. We, they told us, take everything you think you might need. Assume you're going on a two-year camping trip and take everything you think you might need. So we're glad that we did take you know, things like toilet paper and whatnot. So we didn't see that there. We'd been married one year um, and we got to see and do and be a part of some amazing things, which are stories for another time as well as some pretty wild, scary, and crazy things. More stories for another time. But we got to see God's hand at work and be a part of what he was doing to make his name great among an unreached, unengaged people group. There were only five known Kazakh believers uh, at that time. Now there are thousands of Kazakh believers and hundreds of churches, and they're sending out missionaries to cross-cultural places, it's very exciting. When we first went out, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what it was going to be like. We didn't know what we were stepping into. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know the language. We didn't know how that first crazy and wild time in Kazakhstan was going to change the course of our lives. There were a lot of things we didn't know, but there were some things that we did. That God was good, that He could be trusted, that He would provide our needs, that Jesus was worthy that the gospel was good news, and there were people who hadn't heard. We'd heard the Great Commission um, from Matthew and thought we knew what it meant, but I don't think we really understood what it was gonna cost, where it would take us, what we'd encounter, what it would be like to stay or have to leave uh, time, time and time again, stories for another time also. When we got kicked out of our first country, a place where we thought we were gonna be there forever, I really got thrown for a loop. Why did this happen? What did we do wrong? We were flooded with frustrations or feelings of failure and despair, and I began to obsess with the Great Commission. Why were we here? What were we doing? What's it all about anyway, and what's the criteria of our success and failure? So I'd like to share some of the things that have been helpful to me and us uh, understand some of these questions better. So like an investigative reporter, you know, digging into God's word to find out what he tells us and derive our principles and methodologies from scripture, and then you can proceed forward in confidence and by faith. So questions like who, what, where, when, why, and how. See how they relate to the Great Commission and what we can learn along the way. So the Great Commission, you've heard it probably a lot, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and I'll be with you until the very end of the age. So who is the initiator of this and who's it for, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. And very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ is the initiator, the pursuer. He loved us first, 1 John 4.10. And he didn't just love us, he loved us to death. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, 1 John 3.16. But looking just at Jesus' first words when he started his ministry and his last words, what's the connection? So in Matthew uh, 4.17, the first words, like if you have one of those Bibles where the has the red letter edition, the first letters in red, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 4.17. So he's telling people, stop going the direction you're going, turn around and follow me, Matthew 4.19. So be my disciple. So Jesus started his ministry addressing the problem of sin. Our sins have separated us from God. The only way to remedy this is through a personal relationship with Jesus. Only his blood is good enough to cover our sins and make us acceptable to God. It's his righteousness that, that clothes us. And how do we know that? That we need that. Um, Isaiah tells us our righteousness is like filthy rags. But then looking at Jesus' last words in the Great Commission, right? He says, make disciples. So first and last words, be my disciple, make disciples. And it's like everything in between Matthew 4:17 and Matthew 28 where he tells them to make disciples is like a display of what it means, what it's going to look like to be and make disciples of others. And this process of making disciples starts with evangelism, starts with the good news, addressing the problem of sin. The Great Commission could also be broken down into three categories, message, messenger, and means with the message being the cross and Christ, his commandments, his love, his life, and the authority there is the gospel itself. We see that in First Peter, Second Corinthians, and all is Christ's authority. All authority has been given to me, he says. Messenger is us. Our life, as we go about whatever we do, wherever we go, um, And our authority is coming from Christ, right? And our relationship with him. So if we're in Christ, we're new creations and his grace is sufficient for us. Jesus says, when you stand before earthly authorities, don't worry what to say, I am with you. The means, the God-prescribed means or vehicle or mechanism for making disciples is the church. That's the context in in which that happens. And the authority is coming from the commission given to the church. So the good news is is to declare his glory and that's our goal is to share this good news. The good news is about him, how amazing, awesome, and glorious he is and what he's done. It's from him. It wasn't our idea, it was his. And the good news is for him to the praise of his glorious grace. So any good news we share includes who he is and what he's done But the good news is bad news about us. We're not okay or neutral, but sinful, Romans 3. And in our pride, we never see ourselves as bad off as God sees us. So people need to know and understand that they're lost, that they've broken the law. And our power is in the unique message, the gospel. Our method is clearly communicating this message as widely as possible, By faithfully sharing and calling for repentance and belief as the only saving responses. And if you're not yet a follower or disciple of Jesus, the command to you is repent and follow him for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what, what are we talking about? What's going to happen here and what are we looking at? A great multitude from every nation, Revelation 7, 9 and 10. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever, amen. So in Revelation, we're given this fantastic image of angels, heavenly creatures and people from every tongue, tribe and nation all focused on the worship of the exalted king. God is on his throne. All attention, adoration, and glory are poured out on the one who alone is worthy. And the lamb who was slain is vindicated and victorious. So this heart for all nations um, is and should be from the start, intentionally distilled into the DNA of churches, not something tacked on later as an afterthought. Imagine what it would be like if every church on planet Earth right now had a heart and vision for the nations and acted on it. So where, where does it take us, right? Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So the Great Commission tells us where all nations, that's the focus or target of our our disciple making efforts, but the Great Commission's not just for missionaries or people that go overseas, right? So don't glorify the going. Missionaries go because the target is all nations and that's what propels us out to go. And we know from revelation from scripture that there will be people from every tongue, tribe, people and nation around God's throne. But the Great Commission's for all believers. So some of us it takes us to the ends of the earth, others it takes us across the street. And uh, going, short-term, is one thing. Going and staying, uh, long-term, developing a, you know, a viable long-term presence among those who have yet to hear, especially where many are openly hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, can be a different thing. So, going versus as you go, right? We're used to hearing go in the Great Commission. Um... But there's actually one imperative in the Great Commission, and it's not the go, it's make disciples. And the going is actually like a participle. It's dependent on the verb of making disciples. In Greek, it's not go. Its emphasis is is make disciples. So the meaning is as you're going, be about the business of making disciples. Whatever it means, wherever it takes you, be about the business of making disciples. Whatever it is that you're doing, whoever it is that you are, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, and be intentional about it. So the Great Commission, as you're going, make disciples of all nations. That's the target. And this all-inclusive nature, that's what propels us out to go to the ends of the earth sometimes. So this all-nations, nothing less, includes those who have not yet heard um, yeah, which takes some of us places we've never heard of before, and others across the street. And it's not a one-time thing either. This as you go, it's part of your everyday life. It's a mindset, I believe. And that's our job. Who you are, where wherever you live, whatever you do, be about the business of making disciples of others. If you're a follower and a disciple yourself, what does the Great Commission not say? Um, It doesn't say just make converts, right? Uh, It doesn't say make church members or law abiding citizens. It doesn't say evangelize the world either. We know that's gonna happen as a result of obedience to the Great Commission but the focus here is on making disciples which I believe the evangelism is a part of of that. We know this is gonna happen um, but also it doesn't say in there plant churches in the Great Commission. We do that, uh, and this will happen, but the focus still is on making disciples. So don't get the cart before the horse. There can be churches that are talented but don't have a focus of making disciples, right? And there's nothing magical about house church, we can tell you that. There can be unhealthy house churches just as there can be building-based ones. But if a church is focused on making disciples and has a heart for the nations, uh, that is, That is, I think, what we're we're supposed to be focused on doing. But we don't separate the disciple-making apart from church. Church is is the vehicle, the means, the mechanism in in where disciples are made. And this all nations is the end result of our disciple-making efforts. Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, before me was the great multitude, no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, wearing white robes, and holding palm branches in their hands. John ten sixteen uh, is another scripture that has given me or us great confidence as we go. It says, and I have other, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. And again, in Colossians 1, and 27, and I have other sheep not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice, one flock, one shepherd. So in the end, don't glorify the going, long term or short term. The bottom line is obedience, and a heart of obedience that has it, you know, no strings attached, no fine print at the bottom, just a simple answer of yes, uh, whatever it means, wherever he leads. So where has it led us? Um, And where's it going to lead you? And when? When's this going to happen? Matthew 24, 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So God has a plan uh, set from the foundation of the earth that includes drawing all nations to himself. And this isn't accomplished by our wisdom, our power, and our strength. So if God has this plan uh, and calls us to proclaim it to all nations, then he's gonna do it. It's been his plan through the ages. It's not a plan by accident. It's not an evolving plan. It's part of his eternal plan. And He is sovereign over all, and He will bring it to pass. That gives us confidence in going and going out. Scriptures are full of references to the coming Messiah and to the plan of God to draw all nations to Himself. And it's a task that to us seems very impossible. Even if you're just focused on one people group, we can tell you it seems very impossible but we serve a God who's in the business of taking what seems or looks like an impossible situation from our perspective and completely turning it around. Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon in Revelation 22, 12. And in response, the, the response is the spirit and the bride say come in verse 17. So this is all for the glory of God, for the fame of his name, all nations, nothing less. Under the question why, I have a really short, like, answer. Um, Colossians 1, to 27 says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So why? Because Jesus has chosen it. He wants it, and he is worth it. The longer question for me is, is how. Um, Romans 10, 14 to 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they haven't believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they haven't heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we know when the good news is shared, people are saved. When the good news isn't shared, people won't be. Um, and we don't want to share a complicated version of the gospel, of the good news. Um, even Einstein said, you know, everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. So you don't want to make it too simple, a truncated version of the gospel for quick converts or easy believism. Um, we need to be faithful to the gospel. Faithful to the gospel. And that means a lot. I think it at least means being obedient and in intentional clear and broad proclamation of the gospel to all people in his power with integrity, boldness, and perseverance. So in a kind and loving way, share the good news every time you can privately and publicly. These are reminders that we would use for ourselves and our teams. So whatever you can benefit from them is great. We go to the same places uh, when we eat out, run errands for the purpose of sharing the good news. We get a friend to go with us, uh, pray before we go and then go. And as we go, we're looking for opportunities to share the good news. So this intentional disciple making, it's intentional, but it's happening as we go. It's not by appointment only. And we need to model that and pray for it and encourage each other to be compelling examples of personal evangelism. We're not just making converts or getting somebody to just pray a prayer. The goal is to make disciples. Teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded, a life lived in obedience and submission to Christ. And some may come over time via a process, and some immediately in a time of crisis. But the gospel must always be presented, and people encouraged to respond to God. We do this by faith and in confidence, knowing the Holy Spirit is with us always, every step of the way. And we want to be biblicus, not biblicist, not pragmatists. We're filtering. Everything, every method that comes our way, every latest, greatest, you know, whatever, through God's word and not the reverse. Um, deriving our principles and methodologies from Scripture and then proceeding forward in confidence and by faith. And we pray that we would have the same for us and for, for y'all here, that we would have the same spirit led boldness of the first century believers who, through suffering and faith in the face of death, took every opportunity to tell of their crucified and risen Lord. Bill Bright says, successful evangelism is sharing the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results of God. So praise the Lord that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest and he will build his church. And disciples that make disciples that make disciples are the product of a healthy church. Um, These disciples reproduce themselves that way. It's like the bricks of the church and Jesus is the cornerstone and he's building his church, he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So how do we make disciples? Be a disciple is the first part of it. How did the disciples do it? What did it mean for them to be his disciples? What did it cost? And what's it gonna cost us? The disciples walked with God, following him wherever he led. So looking back to the Great Commission for our like, Disciple making instructions or blueprint, right? Making disciples includes telling people about Jesus. We know that faith comes from hearing the message. Romans ten seventeen, faith comes from hearing, it, hearing through the word of Christ. Romans ten nine, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So people need to hear that, repent and follow Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. It starts there. But it's the first step with the goal of making disciples, teaching them to obey all Christ is commanded in the context of a healthy, biblical, reproducing church with a heart for the nations from the start. So it's not just a knowledge-based uh, transfer, like a knowledge dump. Like if you, it doesn't say, teach them everything Christ is commanded. If you could just do that, you'd be done. It's teach them to obey, which is a totally different story. And it all happens in the context of churches churches. Um, it goes on to talk about baptizing them in the name, not names, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is one, not three, and I've had a lot of conversations with my Muslim friends over the years with about that. Baptism, one of the first steps of faith in a life lived uh, by faith. And it's a testimony of the world that you're a follower of Jesus, and, a, and it's symbolic of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and new life in Christ. That's a hurdle for some people groups that we've worked with, the idea of baptism. Uh, because of history that forced conversion, um, 1552, Ivan the Terrible, forced conversion to Christianity and baptism is a bad word to them. So when they're translating the Tatar Bible, they couldn't transfer, translate directly the word baptism. They had to describe the process. So, and teaching them, teaching them what? To obey all that Christ has commanded. So how do you do this? You spend time with them like Jesus did. Nothing beats deliberate time together in the process of making disciples. And we're to press on in this. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul also writes... To, in Philippians one twenty-one, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And right after that, he says, "I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far." Verse three seventeen, or three seven. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And in verse ten of chapter three, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. In Philippians 4, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So the secret that Paul had learned was that Christ was sufficient for everything. He needed nothing else and that Christ would satisfy his every need. Second Corinthians 12 says, He said to me, 12 verse 9 and 10, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul uses rubbish to describe anything other than being found in Christ. Philippians 3.7, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So believers should not fear the persecution or suffering that comes from following Christ. But at the same time, we don't seek it out, right? Uh, It's a life lived in the presence of God. It's often framed by suffering and persecution. It was true during Bible times, we can read about it. It was true for believers who suffered and endured during the times of the Soviet Union and we've met and spoke with some of them, heard their stories and it's true for us now. And it's especially true for first generation Muslim background believers that are coming out of Islam. It's very real. The missionaries are called by God to expend their lives among those who remain in lostness. You know, when we first went out, people actually asked us, you're taking your kids with you? No, we're going to leave them with you, right? (laughs) But workers, you know, overseas, they have a lot of fears. Um, Just to name a few. Workers fear that their platform, you know, might be compromised. If they're working among Muslims, they may, they may be dealing with that. And there's all kinds of complications with that. That they might be kicked out of a country. Well, we've been there and done that a couple times, at least. That they might lose their work permit or visa. They fear that their children might have to move with them to another country and have a hard time adjusting. We've had that a few times. They fear that they might be uprooted from their schools and friends. They dread the thought of having to learn another language. We're on like our sixth now. And fear that the fruit of their ministry will be targeted, that believers might be persecuted, fired from their jobs, divorced from their families, and beaten. And more, right? Elizabeth Elliot, which I like to read her stuff, right? She says, if my life is surrendered to God, all is well. Let me not grab it back as though it were in peril in God's hand, but would be safer in mine. Matthew 10:23 uh, says, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. You're not going to run out of places to go until Jesus comes back, so don't worry about that. Jesus warned his followers, though, that persecution was going to be a part of following him, and he told his believers to prepare for it. Persecution, though, can deny others access to Jesus. And it's the number one cause. I mean, people giving their lives to Jesus is the number one cause of persecution. So every day, even we have to decide. Are we going to side with the persecutors or side with the persecuted? You side with the persecutors and you're likely to withhold your witness. You're gonna be afraid to share the gospel. Side with the persecuted and you, you're, you're sharing your faith. Salvation and sharing Christ results in persecution for believers and especially for, for our, our Muslim background believing brothers and sisters. This, the issue is not can we share our faith in a lot of these places, but are we willing to suffer the consequences So don't run from persecution, but don't seek it out either. Determine to live out your faith and life as a display of God's glory, showing the world how a follower of Christ lives and dies in confidence and by faith. And don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone either and become a risk taker among the lost so that all have an opportunity to hear, understand and believe and be gathered into Christ. This is a verse from a song or poem called Desperate Man." It says, I'm searching for some desperate men, not afraid to trust their maker, who'll run headlong at breakneck speed, wild and bold and ready. But then 1 Peter 4.12 says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. And suffering, as Jesus presents in Matthew 24:9, is not only a consequence of the obedience of, of world evangelization, but it's an, but sometimes a means of accomplishing it. Matthew 24, 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus spent a good amount of time preparing his disciples to suffer. They weren't trained to be aware of a vague possibility of it, that they might suffer and die. Matthew 10, 21, brother will, be, will betray brother to death and a father is child. You'll be handed over and persecuted and put to death. John 16, 2, they'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. So we might even say there's a strong correlation between following Christ and hanging on a cross. We should expect to be killed, tortured, and oppressed, and prepared for it, but we should not deliberately seek to bring these things upon ourselves. It's not enough to be willing to suffer. Be ready, prepared, and expectant for it. Paul says in Acts twenty-one thirteen, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. As part of Paul's original calling, Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name in Acts 9. And in doing so, Jesus enabled Paul to avoid surprise at the suffering he would face. He says, I'm not ready. I'm ready not only to be bound, um, but also to die. So if God has ordained suffering and death in his name, you know, then we, we don't do service. We actually harm the church by watering this down rather than helping her to prepare. So are we, are we, is it mobilizing martyrs? Um... Are you recruiting people and sending people to situations where, you know, they know in advance that their days will likely be few and painful? Um, We shouldn't encourage people to seek death, right? But encourage them to be faithful, to follow him unconditionally and be so taken by his glory that death can be counted as gain. Jesus said very clearly that he was sending his disciples out like sheep among wolves so it's not a suicide mission, but it is a glorious mission of proclaiming his gospel and consequently, there's gonna be difficulties at times, right, so the suffering and martyrdom shouldn't be strange uh, or catch us by surprise, but it's, it's pretty ordinary. And the suffering for the one who died for us uh, is not just for select disciples, it's for all. Cory ten Boom said, God's finest tool in our lives is the tool of suffering. And when Christ calls anyone, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And God says, we'll lay down our lives. In Luke seventeen nine, he says, should he then thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And the verse after that in seventeen ten, so you also, when you've done all you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So how's this gonna happen? It's gonna happen in the context of church, right? Matthew 10, 18, I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church and he's not gonna allow it to be destroyed by external forces. So persecution can't destroy the church. Uh, fear of it can temporarily put it on things on pause and Satan we know is a liar and a deceiver, but he's not been given authority to destroy the church. But if the church believes he has authority over her, then she may surrender or give in at times. If the church fears man more than God and falls away in a time of persecution, then we can be effectively destroying ourselves. So Jesus promised casualties along the way, torture, death, every form of loss. We can choose to persevere and see him triumph or choose to forfeit. The way of the cross though is totally different, where the weak and defeated prevail and the meek inherit the earth. And we know the gates of hell are not going to prevail against his church. Jesus promised it. So be prepared for suffering or dying for Jesus, whether going as a missionary to hostile areas or staying home. Second Timothy 3.12 says, All who want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Comfort is in God's promise, 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, for when I'm weak, I'm strong. Paul denied Christ probably out of fear and shame. We see in Matthew 26. But later he preached boldly, suffered greatly, and endured threats. Acts 2 through 5. And the power of God filled him with the Holy Spirit and enabled him. We see that in Acts. Another thing under how is with intention, intentionality. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. The writer of Hebrews reveals that people are supposed to be examining us. So if making disciples as you go uh, is an intentional thing, you better be prayerfully expecting opportunities to share as you go about your daily life. With the taxi we remind our, ourselves and our teams overseas these things, right? With the taxi driver, with the vendor at the market, with our neighbors, with the kids playing on our street, every day, everywhere as you're going. It's the expectation of our Lord for everyone that's called by his name. Sharing Christ with those the Lord puts in your path as you go. So where can you meet people for the purpose of sharing the good news in a natural way? Well, one thing we do is we go to the same places over and over again. Whether it's... Uh, you know, to buy our food or to get a haircut or things like that. And that repeated exposure often lends itself to, to that. Go to the gym. Clubs or organizations where you can do it. Another thing is the mindset about hospitality. Um, not just, you know, be hospitable, but actually pursue hospitality. And that's a great environment for the, um, using for the process of making disciples. And our lives, think about it, are on display. So Christianity is like life in a fishbowl and you're the fish and people watch us, how we interact with, um, how we share with our landlord, with our neighbors, or overseas, how we interact with maybe a corrupt policeman or the intimidating immigration officer, you know. And they watch our marriages, how we treat our wives as husbands, how we treat our kids, how we interact as families, especially our Muslim friends. They look at that long and hard So as followers of Jesus, you know, we're witnessing daily in loving, relational, culturally appropriate ways with those that we meet in our everyday lives. Another how is confidently. 1 Thessalonians 1 through 4 through 6 says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you, rec- for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So not only intentionally, but confidently, because we go in his authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28:18. And we can go confidently also because we, we don't go alone, right? Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And prayerfully, we want to go prayerfully. Colossians 4 uh, 2 through 6 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is a big deal to us, and Christine and I are very thankful to you guys for praying for us. That gives us confidence as we go out and send texts and say, we're on our way to the village to see Oslan and Elsa or whatever. And and people write back or heart it and say, we're praying for you, we got your back. It's a big deal and so we would often pray as a team, You know, the idea of taking our principles, methodologies from scripture, Paul prayed for opportunities, didn't he? For open doors, he prayed that himself and he solicited prayer from others on his behalf. He also prayed and asked for boldness, same pattern, and asked others to pray for him that he'd be bold. He also prayed that he would be able to proclaim the gospel clearly as he should that there wouldn't be any any confusion here. And so we pray that ourselves and we ask for you to pray for that also for us Um, in whatever language is required, right? Being careful sometimes about what words we use or we don't use or baggage that's included in some of the words in different languages. So here's our prayer. Lord, give me more opportunities to share, more boldness in the face of them and more ability to speak with clarity as I should. And then we as a team would ask each other like accountability questions. Did you pray this prayer? Have you, have you asked the Lord for opportunities? Did he, did he provide them? What did you do in the face of those opportunities that God provided? Have you asked the Lord for boldness? Solicited prayer from others? How did God answer the prayer? Under ability, Ephesians 6, 9 says, Pray that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So, in these opportunities that God provided, were you able to proclaim the good news? Uh, Where are you falling short, maybe in spiritual language or vocabulary in different areas? And what are your plans to improve those this coming week? Things like that. Um, And that's encouraging to folks. So, Great Commission, why? Why is it so great? What's so great about it? Why is it a commission? Why is it important? What does it tell us? How do we know if we're fulfilling it or not? Uh, never forget that Jesus is the answer that the world needs and that Jesus is worth it, whatever the cost. Remember that when God calls you to follow Him, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, He'll make you into what He wants you to be. He's not going to leave you. When He tells you to be His disciple, He's going to help you do it. When He tells you to make disciples, He's going to help you do it. And as we seek to obey Christ's command, to make disciples of all nations, we have a promise, don't we? That he's gonna be with us every step of the way to the very end of the age. So you don't go by yourself. He equips you, he gives you what you need for the task, and he's the one sending you to the place that he wants you to go. In fact, he's already there and he's at work, which is another thing that gives us confidence. So it's up to us to trust him, to obey him, uh, no matter what the cost, whatever it leads, whatever it means. So our task is to be faithful, faithful to the gospel so broadly, share the gospel, live it out, establish and nurture healthy churches, make disciples in and through churches, avoid unhealthy or unhelpful practices, and pray. So what's the criteria of our success and failure at the end of the day when you put your head on your pillow at night? It's got to be faithfulness, and it's got to be obedience to Him. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He's the one building the church. We just get to be a part of what He's doing to make His name great among the nations. So success and effectiveness is this obedience to God, faithfulness, and not measured by sometimes man-made standards. Missionary Amy Carmichael spent 56 years in India worshiping Jesus with the gift of her life. And among her many writings, she recorded... This prayer. Make me thy fuel. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. So whether you're going, giving, sending, or staying, do it in obedience. In confidence and by faith, and all for the glory of God. Father, thank you uh, for this church. Thank you for their heart for the nations. Pray that they would be a display of your glory. Pray that for them and for us, you'd keep establishing the work of our hands for us, Father, using us as you see fit in the making great of your nation making great of your name among the nations, whatever it means, wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from New Life Baptist Church in College Station, Texas. For more information or to support our ministry, visit us online at newlifecs.net.